Mike Boyer, and this is the Rock and Roll Research Podcast, where we share the super cool backstories and side gigs of the research and insight pros that you trust. I am, in fact, not a researcher. I'm a technology professional and currently the chief architect at a large financial services company. I also play the keys myself and keep reminding Matt of this fact, hoping someday for a rehearsal with his band. Alas, the phone has been silent. In today's turntable episode, pun intended, I am turning the tables on your regular host and my good friend, Matt Valley, and putting him in the hot seat. I want to first thank Matt for helping me fulfill a lifelong dream of hosting the Rock and Roll Research Podcast. Bucket list item, check. Matt has spent his entire career in market research and is currently at UserZoom. He is a board advisor to a firm called Insight Sutras. He is also usually the host of this very fine podcast. Matt also has long hacked away at the drums with various bands over the years. We'll get into all of that and more on today's podcast. Welcome to your show, Matt. <laughs> that was awesome. And I, I feel like I'm going to be losing my, my gig here pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're going to show me up. I mean, look at that background. I'm totally lo-fi and you got it going on, Mike. Yeah, but, but look at this Andy Warhol here. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. <laughs> what so, can I say? <laughs> how do we resume it? Do we three, two, one it again when we're ready? <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's jump into it, man. Okay. I, I'm all hey, yours. Hey, Matt, why don't you tell us how you started your career in research and why you stuck around? All right. That's, that's a good, good question, Mike. Um, well, my, my story goes way back to uh, college. I decided to study statistics because um, I really didn't know what I wanted to do, but I just wanted to study something I knew I would enjoy. So uh, statistics was where it was at. Um, I thought about a career as uh, an actuarial scientist, uh, decided it was a little too morbid to uh, calculate when people were gonna die for my entire career. Um, <laughs> so, so I graduated like with not, not really an idea of what I was going to do with that. Um, but I got a, a job the old fashioned way by answering an ad in the paper, real old fashioned way. Uh, and I took a part-time job actually for a small research company in the Twin Cities called Anderson Niebuhr and Associates and um, really got an incredible kick out of um, uh, entering data that came in from surveys. And at the time we were doing a large patient satisfaction survey for uh, a hospital chain that had lots of clinics. And I was, I was just really charged by the fact that once I entered the data and I could see it, that I was the first person in the world who knew that, you know, this clinic was uh, doing a terrible job of serving their patients, for example. Um, and I was just a, an hourly worker, uh, you know, uh, entering data. And I just thought that was so cool. And so- The power, and was, the power didn't go to your head? What's that? The power didn't go to your head? It didn't, it didn't, no. What went to my head was, uh, was kind of the fascination and the interest in, in data. So, so I, I realized then that I found a place that I, I liked. Uh, I ended up working on the client side for about six years at what is now- Thompson Reuters doing research with attorneys. Uh, I uh, found my way to the supplier side and, and have been there ever since. 
I've worked for a number of big companies, small companies and startups. Uh, and I'm currently, as you mentioned, at a company called UserZone uh, and involved with another firm called Insight Sutras. Um, I do wanna say as well that uh, I just really um, connected with the industry and <clears throat> had some great opportunities early on in my career to become involved in the industry beyond my job. Uh, and one of the primary vehicles for me was the American Marketing Association, the AMA. Uh, and they provided a great, great opportunity for me to uh, be part of uh, leading large conferences and being part of the Marketing Insights Council, which um, sort of advised the leadership at the AMA of, of what market researchers needed and wanted uh, and met tons of cool people along the way. So. Uh, at times I thought, hey, maybe I should uh, look at something adjacent or something different, but uh, I really like it here. So, so here I am. Outstanding. So I remember back in high school when you and your brother had um, you know, hair or I guess lawn hair um, and a metal band called State of Mind. Can you tell me about that and what you're doing now in music? <laughs> Mom, Mike, you already know about State of Mind. You were there. You were, you were at ground zero there. <laughs> Tartan High School, East St. Paul, East Side. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, my brother Mike and my buddy Sloan and I made a band called State of Mind. And uh, we started playing instruments for the express purpose of, of being in a metal band. That was the goal. That's why, that's why I started playing the drums. Um, and we just, we put a lot of time into it early. So we got good enough, fast enough to do gigs while we were in high school, which was really cool. Um, and uh, we got signed to a local record label in uh, Minneapolis called Channel 83 Records. So we put out an album in 1990, which was super cool. Um, so we did that band for about seven years. Uh, I should say that uh, for, for the metal fans that are listening, we were Rash band. So if you're thinking about the, uh, the the right nomenclature, where to put us, we were we were a thrash band. Uh, we did it for about seven years, and then our audience completely dried up, and no one wanted to hear us anymore. <laughs> but uh, there, there's been a bit of a resurgence. So um, uh, in 2019, I got a call from uh, a guy who runs a record label called Dive Bomb Records. And he wanted to re-release our album. And at first I thought it was a joke, but alas, it was not. Um, so we re-released the album State of Mind, Mass Persecution in 2019, which led to a reunion show, get the band back together, man, in Minneapolis. And, uh, and I got back into it. Um, so along the way, uh, after State of Mind broke up, I, played in a punk rock band called uh, Captain Trash with Josh Kellerman and Brent Osland. It's awesome. We were very destructive uh, at the gigs that we played at. Um, I played with a jazz band. Uh, Doug Gentile actually was uh, at Anderson Eber, which I mentioned before, and uh, he did an episode of the, the podcast, did that. Uh, then I found my way to a rockabilly band called Lazy Ike and the Daredevils. Uh, and later a country band called the Naked Cowboys. So I did a little bit of everything. Uh, and now I'm, I'm back to punk rock playing a band called the Chumleys here in Dallas, Texas. And we're playing about once a month and doing a little bit of recording and it's, it's a ton of fun. 
Am I mistaken, or was there a kids band in there somewhere along the line too? A kids band that you had, you bought a special symbol for it or something. I thought I bought a special symbol for a kids. That's not ringing a bell. Not ringing okay. a bell. I'm confused. Okay, I thought you. <laughs> it's I thought you probably, managed to that genre as well. I probably forgot. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Well, that's a possibility too, right? So are there any lessons you've applied from your side gigs in music to your professional career or vice versa? Uh, any lessons? <clears throat> um, not really, no. <laughs> um, th there is one, actually. I, I think the big lesson is, is about promotion. So when, when I was in the band, when I was in State of Mind, uh, we had some really terrible gigs, some really awful gigs uh, that all stemmed from the fact that um, we were either too lazy or maybe too shy uh, to really promote the gigs that we were playing at. And so we ended up playing to empty rooms. So <laughs> you, you, get, you get in return what you put in uh, at the outset. Um, and so I don't think I've made that, that same mistake in my career I've, I've learned a lot about that um, and especially being uh, primarily in business development on the supplier side uh, for much of my career uh, it's it's extremely important uh, to make sure that uh, if you've got a great product something that you want to share with people you got to tell people you can't just sit on it so well, I think you learned that lesson at your album premiere at Northern Lights <laughs> indeed indeed when you uh when you do a record release party uh, and, and nobody shows up and you don't sell any records, that's, uh, that's not a good look. So <laughs> once again, yes. <laughs> well, laugh uh, switch, switching gears here uh, you, to, to your day job a little bit, what do you see as the future of consumer insight and you know, what matters? That's a really good question, Mike. Um, I think the thing that, that I've seen uh, over the last couple of years, which of course has been, uh, it has been uh, magnified by the pandemic, is that um, so much of research when I started in this industry was about measuring attitudes. Uh, so shorthand, when people thought of market research, uh, people thought surveys and focus groups. So you're talking to people, you're asking people questions and uh, attitudes are, are important to measure, uh, but often we were also asking people about their behavior. So a lot of what people did uh, wasn't actually observed or measured uh, beyond asking people what they say they did, but so much has changed and I think um, I've been asked this question on the podcast and, and hearing this answer from a number of different perspectives. I, I think it comes down to not techniques, but the idea of the, the explosion and the ability to measure behavior. So that applies to, if you think about big data, um, a lot of big data uh, enables the measurement of behavior. So now we can, we can track um, how people are clicking through websites, right? Uh, we don't have to ask them, you know, what's the first page you went to? What's the second page? You went to? We can measure all of that. Um, and that's had some profound effects in terms of measuring things like, uh, 
like uh, different versions of advertising, for example, whereas all of that used to be measured primarily via uh, what we call pre-testing. So if you create an ad or create messaging for your product, you would test that with consumers via surveys typically uh, before it launches. But now you can just, um, in cases where maybe the risk is low and the cost to produce uh, the messaging or the content isn't very high, you just do A-B testing. So there's still a place for things like retesting, but uh, A-B testing has, has really uh, accelerated the number of questions that can be addressed with research. Um, and I think that's also true in uh, qualitative research. So I think about um, developing products, for example, uh, one of the most effective ways is to observe the experience of people as they uh, proceed through a prototype of a website or an app uh, before you invest all of the development dollars to finalize the design. Um, you can do research, user experience research. This is what UserZoom does, for example, um, where you're recruiting people and it's, it's cost effective to uh, turn on a camera uh, and watch how they uh, interact with your software or your experience or your checkout or whatever that is, um, where you can easily then identify what the hangups are, what the problems are, what's working, what's not working, uh, without having to, without having to ask people, because you can actually see it with your own two eyes. So that the, the ability to measure behavior, both quantitatively and qualitatively, uh, has been a huge boon, I think, to research. Um, and it's been helped by um, sort of people outside the industry coming in with new ideas, um, new technologies that enable that. Uh, and I, I think that that will, uh, that will continue into the future. Very cool. Very cool. Now, are there any podcasts, blogs, or other media that you recommend either personally or professionally? Um, <laughs> Well, uh, I would start by saying, hey, there's a ton of really good podcasts in the market research industry. Uh, and I want to give credit to, uh, to Green Book and to Little Bird Marketing for starting this podcasting award. I think last year was, was the first. Um, and uh, they've really kind of surfaced uh, a lot of the podcasts in the industry, some of the best industries or some of the best podcasts in the industry. Um, and brought them to a broader audience. So there are people like Adam Jolly, who I know has a couple of podcasts. Uh, Simavasa has just a, a brilliant one around data. Um, so when it comes to, say, industry podcasts, I've, I've found those to be um, both useful and entertaining. Um, beyond that, uh, you know, there's some music podcasts and stuff that, that, that I listen to, but um, to be honest, I'm all over the place. So uh, I, uh, I react to, um, to media that people send me uh, and recommend to me. And that's, that's the primary source of, of what I go for. Very cool. Very cool. Now, you're stranded on a desert island with three records of your choice for the very end of your days. What are they and why? Well, I got props for this, right? Um, I know, I know I ask people this question, uh, but I do it so that they don't ask me because I cannot effectively answer this question. 
Uh, I think about it all the time, constantly. Uh, my list changes over and over. Um, I'm gonna, I'm going to limit it to records that I have on vinyl because uh, I've got some props. So I am going to give a top three, but uh, but I have to uh, do some uh, some honorable mentions first. So so here we go. You can't see this on the audio version, but uh, I'll explain it. So the first one is DRI dealing with it. Best hardcore album ever. 25 songs in 34 minutes. Uh, so there, yeah, I mean, you get 25 songs right there. So that's useful uh, on a desert island. Uh, second is, is Oivon, Killing Technology. Just an amazing thrash uh, metal album uh, with all these crazy dissonant chords and this weird sort of, uh, you know, space age dy dystopia kind of thing going on. I totally love it. Uh, got Firehose here, uh, Raging Full On. This is uh, Mike Watt on the bass. Just a, a tremendous record. Um, of course, I'm from, we are from uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul. St. Paul, actually, inside. <laughs> so, uh, so for us, there was a category called local music because in the 80s, uh, in the Twin Cities, uh, we just had the best music around. So Husker Du, Zen Arcade, <clears throat> double album, uh, absolute classic. Of course, uh, perhaps my favorite band of all time, Placements, choosing the album Let It Be. Can't live without it. Uh, a couple more here. I'm getting there. <laughs> <laughs> Descendants, Everything Sucks. Best comeback album ever. Uh, my favorite punk rock drummer. Lisa Loeb, Tales. She's a lot more than the song Stay. Uh, I just totally love this album. So does my daughter. Enjoy listening to, to it together. Need some variety. So Smithsonian Collection of Classic Jazz. This one has uh, 12 records on it. Well, six records, 12 sides. Uh, and it's just wonderful all the way through. It tells the story of the, uh, of the birth uh, and the evolution of jazz. Uh, and and uh, old-time personal favorite from high school, Rush Caress of Steel. Hard to pick amongst the Rush records, but uh, I can't... Uh, I can't go without mentioning Neil Peart. Now there, there are three, three actually that I don't have on record that I will, that I will mention real quickly. Nina Simone's Greatest Hits, uh, Suicidal Tendencies, self-titled record, uh, and a band called The Muffs, punk rock band uh, led by uh, Kim Shattuck, rest in peace, uh, from the 90s. Uh, put them in there too. So what was that, 12, 12 honorable mentions? All right, here we go. Here's my three, my Desert Island discs. <laughs> First, this is cheating, and I hate when people cheat on this question, but I'm going with the volume one and volume two. That's Tom Waits, Early Years, volumes one, volume two. I could listen to these records uh, nonstop for the rest of my life. Johnny Cash, Mean as Hell. This is uh, Ballads from the True West, old wagon train songs. Just creates an atmosphere. Like, like you couldn't imagine. And then, of course, you know what's coming. You know what's coming, Mike. It's got <laughs> to be. Rain and Blood by Slayer. There you go. Outstanding. Well, you anticipated my next question. I was going to ask you what format or media type and why, but uh, I think well, you, you can answer the why still for us. <laughs> 
You know, um, I started buying records when I was a kid. Um, I never made the move to tapes. I never made the move to CDs. I just always liked the sound of records. Um, I stopped buying for a while because you couldn't find them for a while, but now there's a total resurgence. You can find anything you want on vinyl. Um, so I do listen to digital music when I run um, and of course in the car, uh, but everything else is at home is, is on vinyl. So it's gotta be. Well, that's awesome. Well, one last question for you. As a Minneapolis St. Paul boy, First Avenue and the Seventh Street entry live large. Do you have any interesting stories you want to share about your experiences there? <laughs> a good one or a bad one? <laughs> Dealer's choice. <laughs> okay, I'll get. I'll give the bad one that uh, that I avoided telling on Facebook last week. So. Uh, <laughs> So we did have some good ones. We played, uh, I, I put up that record, uh, DRI, Dealing With It. We opened up for them, I think I was 17 at the time, and it was sold out, First Avenue main stage, Total Dream, you know, where, where Prince's Purple Rain was filled. Uh, just mind-blowing, uh, my best, my best uh, music experience ever. Uh, fast forward uh, five or six years, you know, we thought we were going places back then. Uh, little did we realize that that was going to be our best gig ever. Um, so years later, uh, we recorded a demo called Main Room Wannabes uh, because we started in the entry, we made it to the main room, then we couldn't get any more main room gigs. So we still got gigs in the entry when we were lucky. So we were Main Room Wannabes by that time. Um, but then one day I get a call from, uh, from Jules, I think it was Jules, at First Avenue, and she said, hey, state of mind, um, you guys want to open up for White Zombie uh, next week? I'm like, whoa, <laughs> okay, band's back in business. I'm calling Mike, I'm calling Sloan. I'm like, dudes, dudes, we're opening for White Zombie next week. State of mind, we're back on the map. <laughs> so, so we show up, uh, we show up at First Avenue, we rented a U-Haul for the deal because you know we had a monster drum kit and all that crazy stuff. Uh, we had stacks, uh, all that stuff. So we showed up at the loading door and Conrad, uh, who was a longtime sound guy there, uh, he opens the door and we're standing there and he's like, state of mind, what are you guys doing here? And we're like, hey, we're opening up for a white zombie, yo. <laughs> And uh, he said, uh, no, you're not. You're playing in the entry. You're opening up for Mondo Trash Hill. <laughs> we're like, oh, okay, okay, all right. Uh, that's a little bit of a, a bait switch there, uh, but that's all right. So, so we pull over to the entry and we load our stuff in and uh, we, we play it, uh, play in the entry and um, Mondo Trash was headlining and another band was called Love Kit. So Mondo Trash's whole shtick was the lead singer would, um, well, he was kind of a shock jock kind of guy and, uh, and he would disparage the, the opening acts. So <laughs> that's probably why they had trouble finding a, an opening act and, and we didn't uh, switch us on that one. But anyway, so, so we play the set and uh, the singer from Mondo Trash gets up on stage and he says, hey, uh, 
We would really like to thank Love Shit and State of Boredom for warming up the crowd today. <laughs> I looked over at Mike and Sloan. We just laughed. You know, we just laughed. It was it was just funny. And I said, are we done? And they said, yeah, we're done. <laughs> so that's it. That was uh, that was the end of, of State of Legends in Our Own Minds. <laughs> Well, thank you for sharing, you know, perhaps a, a painful moment related to your music career. It was, you know, it was, it was a long, painful swirl down the toilet is what it was. But eventually, eventually we flushed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt, it's absolutely been a blast uh, today. You know, thank you for the opportunity to let me host the show. And I guess I'll, you know, see you this weekend or something. <laughs> well, I can right. roll. Sounds good, Mike, and you did a fabulous job. So thank you so much for, for hosting the podcast. I know who to call next time. So uh, keep the seat warm. Rock and roll. Rock and roll.